Lord, I pray that we will leave here today as confident believers who live out your commands to love and serve you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'll wait till the screens go up. Good morning. It's good to be here with you. Uh, Greg comes back tonight, so I've done my two-week, uh, you know, here. Uh, it's been like autopilot. Nothing uh, too big or crazy has happened, but uh, thank you for your support and your prayers and uh, um, for praying for Greg while he's been gone as well. Uh, I want to begin and ask you a question this morning, um, and it's a question you don't need to answer it out loud, uh, but you can if you want, I guess. Are you a confident person? And I think when you ask that question, uh, we, our answers would vary, but almost all of us would say there's certain areas in our life that we feel competent and we have confidence in. And there are other areas where we don't feel so confident. I remember as a child growing up, I always had confidence in sports because it came natural to me. But when it came to academics, it was a lot more work and it really depended on the subject. But in either of those cases, whether it was athletics or academics, a teacher or a coach could be the difference in having confidence or having a low self-esteem in whatever the activity was. I remember uh, I had a, a couple few people in my life that have been big confidence builders to me at crucial times. High school, I had a baseball coach, and those of you who've been around me a lot have probably heard me tell stories of coaches. But this particular coach was one of these guys that knew everybody's name. He created a family-like atmosphere, and he was hard, too. I mean, we ran as baseball players more than the track team. He was uh, a little bit rough on us, but he always was an encourager. He always told us, you can do better, you can do more. And sometimes his decisions he made seemed even even a little irrational. I remember a friend of mine was catching him. He was a he pitched uh, in the major leagues and uh, he was throwing like 90 miles an hour. And we're like 14 year old kids. Right. And so my friend is catching him. And when he caught the ball, it ripped out the webbing in his glove. And he goes, time out, coach. And he comes running up. He goes, my glove ripped. He goes, Taylor, go run. And that's what it was. It wasn't go get another glove. It was like it was almost like it was his fault. So he had to go run and uh, they threw another catcher in. But we all would laugh at the stories about him. He was a little bit crazy, but he just built us up and we became a lot better as a team and a lot better. It was like a family like atmosphere. I also experienced that with a youth minister when I was in high school who encouraged me at a crucial point in time when I needed a lot of grace. I needed a lot of understanding of who God was. And he shepherded me, so to speak. And helped me to see who Christ was. Made a huge difference in my confidence to follow Christ as I moved into college. When I was in graduate school, uh, I felt like I was out of my league. There was a lot of brilliant people there. And these classes were difficult. I remember one of the smartest uh, guys I knew in my class was from Scotland. His name was Adrian. And uh, he encouraged me one day when I was feeling like, man, I don't know if I can do all this. He said, you got what it takes. You're going to be fine. Remember his words, and even though it was extremely difficult, I got through it and thrived in that environment, just having people that encouraged and built up my self-confidence. But when it comes to our culture and confidence, especially here in the Western culture in America, sometimes it seems like we have a self-esteem problem. 
If you walk into a bookshop in uh, Barnes and Noble or go online, you can find lots of books on self-esteem and confidence. Here are some of the titles that they have. Love yourself like your life depends on it. Confidence. Build unbreakable, unstoppable, powerful confidence in just 21 days. There's another one here for a 21 day, and it's a different book, a 21 day self-confidence challenge. Something about the 21 days to build yourself up. Confidence, how to overcome your limiting beliefs and achieve your goals. The list goes on and on about people's desire to read these books, to build their confidence. But my favorite one was how to stop doubting your greatness and start living an awesome life. Yeah, you know. It's in us. We all want to have confidence. We want to know where we're going. We want to know who we are. We, want, we do not want to be insecure. Most of us in certain areas of our life, as I mentioned earlier, earlier, have areas where we are extremely competent in, whether it's our jobs, acquired skills, activities, hobbies, things we know how to do really well. And if we don't know uh, something, we can always fake it, right? I remember a 90-year-old lady told me once, Steve... If you don't know the answer to something, just say something and act confident. Now, I'm not saying that's good Christian advice, but she was 90, so I said, well, somehow it got her through life. Uh, maybe there's something to it. But um, in all reality, although there are these areas that we are confident in, I think when it comes to our relationships, oftentimes we struggle because we can't control other people. Our confidence is oftentimes low. We struggle with different relationships from work relationships to neighbors to friends to family, marriages, grandchildren, our children, our adult children who seem like they still need help. And when it comes to our relationship with God, I think oftentimes we have an esteem problem as well. I've talked to many people who are sincere believers. They believe it. But when it comes to their weekly life, they just struggle with, how do I live this out? I feel like such a hypocrite. I don't dare mention I'm a believer because people will say, "Ah, oh, I saw you do that last week. So we become, uh, we lose our confidence. We have low self-esteem when it comes to our relationship with God. And then I've heard people say to me, Steve, I'm glad I know you because you have the whole God thing down. You're a pastor. So I'm just going to kind of stay close to you and I'm going to cheer you on. Kind of be like a sideline Christian because I just can't live this out. And I'm thinking if you would have only seen me at the traffic circle in Bluffton the other week when I was not at my best. Perhaps you feel this way. Perhaps you feel that your life does not measure up when it comes to being a Christian. You don't feel like you're a strong Christian. You don't feel like you're that good. So maybe you just cheer on the people that are the strong Christians and the good Christians and just cheer them on from the sidelines. Well, I think there's good news from our scripture reading today for all of us. Whether you have confidence or you lack it when it comes to your faith or your relationship with God. See, we have a God who cares greatly about our confidence. You do, not, you do not need to be a sideline Christian who feels insecure how to live out the faith. God's recipe for success is not about our performance to pr- prove our worth, but rather is about trusting him as we navigate our way through life. When we confide in him and put our confidence in him, we learn to value the things he value, values. And these values shape our actions. And we can't help but do the imperatives, these commands and rules that are found in the Gospels for holy living, 
for living with confidence. So I want to begin and uh, as we kind of move in to talk about what God has to say about confidence and look at the word confidence in itself. If you think of confidence, you think of confide, which is a shorter version of it, to confide in something. And a matter of fact, one of the first definitions is having strong belief or full assurance. Well, Christ provides us with this. He gives us full assurance of who we are. But it starts with who he is. It's the who who, so to speak. When we know who he is, we can know who we are. The Apostle Paul, as he talks about our our salvation, he brings up two metaphors that I think are helpful, but which should not be separated. He uses legal terms such as justification, and he uses family terms such as adoption. In Romans 6.23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. In Romans 3.23, says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have this guilt over us, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He set us free. He's justified us so that we can have freedom. But he doesn't just leave us uh, that metaphor, the legal metaphor, because oftentimes, if you know uh, people who've been set free, they end up doing the same thing over again because that part of their life that made them do it in the first place hasn't really been healed. But the Apostle Paul also uses this adoption term. He writes in his letter to the Galatians, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Not only are we free, but we belong to a family. And it's an intimate family. That term Abba is an endearing term that a son or daughter would say to their father. That we have this secure family relationship. And for those of you who have been adopted into a good family, would even have better understanding that as you get pulled out of, uh, from being an orphan or wherever you were and get adopted into a family, you are loved just like one of their children. Well, this is the kind of justification, the kind of full assurance that Christ gives us. The who he is and the who we are from what he has done. See, a confident faith is life is built on this secure foundation. When we trust in Christ, when we put our confidence in this. In our passage in Hebrews today, it brings up several of these uh, encourages, encouragers to remind us of who Christ is. To remind us of this assurance and confidence that we can have. And, and the first term that was written in, uh, by the writer of Hebrews was, I will never leave you or forsake you when speaking about God. There's grace in this family that we belong to. That God loves us at our best and he loves us at our worst. Much the same any good parent would, with, would be with their children. The second thing he offers for this full assurance, for this confidence is stability. He says, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Stability. When my grandfather uh, lost his wife when my mom was two years old, he was a strong Christian man who uh, did have confidence in his faith. But that began to wane through the grief of dealing as a young man losing his wife. And he said one day he was in the barn. He was a farmer from uh, Minnesota, good Midwestern farmer, German farmer. And he was uh, in there and he was trying to hide his grief from uh, his children and he was milking the cows, and he said the tears were falling down faster than the cow's milk was falling, uh, 
you know, fallen out. He didn't quite say it like that. I'm sounding like a city boy trying to explain uh, farming terms. But the tears were falling anyway. And he just prayed out to the Lord. He's like, you got to help me. I feel completely out of control. And my grandfather was not a, a charismatic Christian. He was not somebody who had all these experiences of the presence of God. But he said in that moment, he said for him, literally, that whole barn lit up. He said he felt this presence of God saying, I'm with you. I'm here. I'm stability in your life right now. And it kept him going for the rest of his life. And he lived a great life, a life that honored God. We have this stability. And the last thing uh, for this full assurance from the passage is we have security. See, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love is not fickle. You all probably grew up with a friend like this, and there's probably a lot of truth in all of us. But one of my friends in particular, his changes, his morphing to different uh, looks was quite striking. He started out in uh, middle school as a uh, skater kid, wore all the skater clothes, hung out with skater people, said skater things. Then in college, he went to Virginia Tech with me, and he lived down the hall from me, and he became a hippie. He started playing ultimate frisbee and wearing tie-dyed shirts and listening to the Grateful Dead and drove a VW bus. I mean, he had everything. You know, listening to Bob Marley, the, the whole deal. I mean, he was wearing the whole costume. He was really smart, though. He graduated from college, got a job with IBM, and he became a yuppie. He had a yacht in Miami and uh, was on a couple marriages, but, uh, you know, he was, he was kind of living like the Miami Vice kind of life there in Miami. And I don't mean to pick on him because, if we're honest, we all do that a little bit. But a relationship with God has security. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's refreshing in the world when so much of us struggle with having security, especially when life gets tough. Grace, stability, and security. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When we understand that who, of who God is through Christ, and who we are, and that we belong in that family, it helps the dues of the faith become second nature, become a part of us. And so oftentimes we get the reverse message. If I do a lot of things for God, then he's going to like me. And then maybe if my good outweighs my bad, I'll be accepted into his family. And it's the wrong way of looking things. It's the, uh, totally the other way around. It's the who he is, that we belong, the who we are. And from there, the do's, the imperatives, the rules to live out the faith make sense and are attainable. A Christian writer wrote this, the one who is in Christ... Those of us who put our faith in Christ have been delivered from the vain attempt to obey the imperatives, that's the rules, you know, the rules for holy living, as a means of justification or getting right with God. And now hears them as guidance and direction of a perfectly loving father. We're, just like when I had that good coach we wanted to perform for him, when we understand we're part of a much, much better team, the family of believers, for those who put their trust in Christ, the living out the faith, the living out the imperatives is not uh, this stressful deal where we don't feel like we measure up because we have the help of the Holy Spirit. We have the community of believers who help to live, us, live, live this out. So when we look at our uh, passage in Hebrews today. There's three competence uh, builders that it talks about in here. 
three imperatives, the three of these rules that we need to live out as believers and not to be justified. It's just because who we are, because when we live these out, we're going to bring confidence to other people, help other people to put their trust and to find their identity in Christ. And the first step is humility. When Kathy read the gospel reading today, it said this at the end of uh, the passage in Luke, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But Christ never gives us commands without modeling it himself. In Matthew chapter four, verse eight, it says this again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus' mission was one of self-service, to give his life to all of us so that we could have life. It was not one of, like, taking, of self-giving, but of self-serving. It says in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, Since the children have flesh and blood, he, Christ, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ demonstrated humility. And therefore, we are to humble ourselves. And what does it look like? Apostle Paul gives us very simple things to carry each other's burdens. He says, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For those who are nothing, for if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves to be humble. I've said many times that humble comes from the word humus, which is dirt. Plants grow from dirt. We grow when we get low, just like the dirt is low. And from there, we're able to bring life, just like a fruit plant will grow out and provide for other people. Humility. The earliest Christians uh, understood this uh, importance of showing humility and being hospitable. It was a place where there's a lot of merchants and uh, different people and cultures that were all colliding. The writer uh, Guthrie, who wrote a commentary on Hebrews, wrote this. It said, the earliest Christians shared the mobility of the broader culture, and therefore many opportunities existed for them to practice hospitality toward traveling teachers, business people, or refugees from persecution. Just like them, we have those opportunities today to extend, to humbly extend hospitality and not just people that look like us. If I'm honest, so often the people I hang out with are people just like me. The people I invite over for dinner are people I enjoy. But God is calling us to people that sometimes we overlook. And so many times I've gotten that wrong in my life. But every now and then, what do they say? A blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. Yeah, you do the right thing. And I was doing youth ministry in Marion, Virginia, a small town, and I it was working with Young Life, which is an awesome Christian ministry. But one of the the ideas for starting is to kind of go after the leaders of the school. You know, and in this place, it was kind of like stuck back in the 1950s, and they happened to be the football team who happened to be terrible, but they were, uh, you know, they were the kind of the popular kids of the school and the cheerleaders. So I started the ministry uh, kind of reaching out to a lot of them, but then the Holy Spirit was tugging my heart, saying, wait, you're missing most of the school here. And I remember I invited uh, just lots of different kids. And I remember this one kid in particular, and he was oftentimes overlooked because he, he wasn't on any sports team. He wasn't, in, wasn't athletic, didn't really quite fit in. And he wrote me two days ago on Facebook this. He said, thank you so much for leading me down the right path in high school with Young Life. 
You'll be proud to know that I am now a coordinator for Youth for Christ here in Philippines. So from the Marion, Virginia to the Philippines, uh, he's spreading the gospel. The Holy Spirit put it on my heart not to overlook. He's calling us to do the same, to extend hospitality to all kinds of people. When we do this, when we humble ourselves, it will not only build others up, it will build us up in a healthy way. So our life will have purpose and meaning. The second, uh, the second step toward uh, building confidence as believers, as mentioned in, in Hebrews, is uh, to love as Christ first loved us. And when you look at the passage, the very beginning one that Bill read, it says this. Hold up, let me pull from my notes here. Let mutual love continue. Imagine I had to search through all those papers just to find those uh, four words. But I didn't want to forget that. So the second uh, step is to, uh, to have this mutual love towards one another. But again, Christ gives us the example. We love because he first loved us. In Ephesians, Paul writes about Christ and says, Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, sacrifice to God. Again, it's self-giving versus self-serving. The writer of Hebrews extends this into places that were a little more intimate, into marriages. He says, let marriage be held by honor by all and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge the fornicators and adulterers. Ooh, this is sounding kind of harsh. But again, God is doing things that are going to build us up, to build us up as a church and build us up as believers. See, the opposite of love is lust, and lust distorts relationships, distorts intimacy. In Matthew 28, Jesus says this to show the importance of what he thought about love versus lust. He says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. So a lot of the Pharisees were all proud of themselves that they weren't sleeping with other people's wives, but yet they were doing the same thing in their hearts. And what Jesus was saying is it all is bad because it distorts it leaves us with low self-esteem. We see other examples in our culture of uh, dehumanizing uh, effects that pornography can have. When rather than interacting with a real human being that has emotions, people are going to their computer screens and phones for a, uh, a cheap thrill. God has something much more intended for us. Richard Foster writes, Lust turns the other person into an object, a thing. A non-person. Jesus condemned lust because it cheapened intimacy. It made it less than it was created to be. For Jesus' intimacy was too good, too high, too holy to be thrown away by cheap thoughts. So as believers, we have a job not only to love and extend love towards each other as believers, such as the early church did, where they cared for each other. They cared for those outside their community. They extended hospitality. But also, in our marriages... To honor those, to know those are important, because those can be a testimony to other people who are outside the faith and inside the faith. The third step for building uh, confidence in our lives as believers, the third do, the third imperative, so to speak, is to be generous and not greedy when it comes to our resources. Again, it's self-service versus self-giving. In Hebrews 13.5, from our reading today, uh, the writer writes this. Keep your lives free from the love of money 
and be confident with what you have. Job 41:11 reminds us of this. Everything under heaven belongs to God. And Matthew, uh, Greg preached about this uh, not too long ago. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Be rich towards God. If everything belongs to God, the question is not should how much of my stuff should I bring to God? Said How much of God's stuff should I give back to him? Because all of it's been given to us. These time, these talents, these resources. And it's not one of these things where if you're rich, uh, you're bad. And if you're poor, you're good. Because I've seen rich people that are incredibly generous. My wife and I have met them and we're like, wow, I wish we had that kind of generosity. We can learn a lot from them. They love God and they give of what God has given to them. And I've seen poor people who have uh, who have done the same, but also who have been misers, who have held on to their little and not been giving. But when the Holy Spirit is in you and he's building confidence because you know who you are, you can't help but to be generous and to realize that everything belongs to God. The Holy Spirit works in uh, in crazy ways. Sometimes my seminary professor was in a bicycling group and none of these guys were uh, believers except for him as far as he knew. And one of the guys in the group, uh, this is a group in Colorado, and these guys were intense bikers. They would bicycle all the time on weekends, end up getting leukemia. And he said the guys from the group, not initiated from him, end up raising money to cover all this guy's medical bills because his medical insurance had run out and even helped to pay off his mortgage and then some. See, the Holy Spirit works in us, even those who are not quite there yet, because he's going to remind of a one day of who he is and who they can be when they put their faith and trust in him. Generosity. Love, humility. These are the building blocks, the imperatives today that the Hebrews writer wanted us desperately to know. But all through that book, he builds up who Christ is and who we are in Christ. And I want you to remember, if anything else, the who, who, who Christ is, who you are, that you belong to him. When you know the who, who, you know how to do the do. So I know that's a little cheesy, but uh, you have a heavenly father who's with you. And uh, he's going to lay it on your heart to love others, to be generous, to be humble, to extend hospitality to other people. I've seen great examples in this church uh, from my role as the youth minister and that every year we go for, to Honduras, we get incredible financial support and prayer support from you all. We, have, we all have it in us. We have the Holy Spirit is working in us to live out these confidence builders. Let's build others up in this world. So the question as we wrap things up is, do you know the who? Do you know who Christ is? Do you understand who you are in Christ, that you belong to him, that you've been set free from your sins from a legal standpoint, but you're also adopted into his family? Do you have the confidence that comes with that? Because when you understand who you are, you'll have the confidence to live out the faith and not feel like a hypocrite, not feel like you're just trying to fake it, as that 90 year old uh, lady told me. But you can be real and people will see the grace and humility in your own life and it'll be contagious. We as a church community last week, I brought you up a verse, Hebrews 10, 24 and five and the charge for us to spur each other on towards love and good deeds in light of what Christ has done. 
There's a theology called the priesthood of all believers. And it comes from first Peter chapter two, that God is building us all into a royal priesthood. This is not just for the professionals and the rest of us are sideline Christians, but for all of us to understand that we have confidence in Christ and we have a job to do with the lead of the Holy Spirit to live out our faith this week and for the rest of our lives as priesthood of all believers. We're all part of this together. I'm going to close with a verse. This is from uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good and work in you and me will be faithful to complete it. Put your confidence in Christ today. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you who you are, that you love us, that you've called us to be a part of your family, that in Christ we can have confidence. Help us to live out our faith this week. Lord, in the way we use our power, that we would be humble. In the way we use our love and our relationships, that we'd be loving. Lord, in the way that we use our resources, our time and our talents, that would be giving and full of generosity because everything belongs to you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.